Praise the Lord. Uh -uh. Praise the Lord. That's the first time I've been called Mrs. Uh, it's quite shocking to hear. I was a bit shocked. Um, praise the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, how are you? Welcome to church. Today I will be taught the word of God. Come on, I, go, I don't hear you. Today I will be taught the word of God. I want you to believe what you're saying. Today, today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess. My heart is receptive. I am alive to the word of God. My life will be changed. And I'll never be the same again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Is it something that I've just made you say? Do you actually believe it? All right. You need to give me a lot more uh, gas, I think. Because you sound so tired. You sound like you slept late. You sound like you have been forced to be here. Uh, you sound like the tent is hot and it really is. Uh, the wind is blowing and I'm praying that my dress can keep calm. But just in case it doesn't, look the other side and pretend that you didn't see anything. All right, you're welcome to the house of the Lord. Allow me to acknowledge Reverend Walter on behalf of the leadership of Olson's. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's lovely to have you. I appreciate you. I honor you. I honor the cathedral leadership. Uh, we wouldn't be where we, were, where we are if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Thank you for being here. The youth pastors in absentia, the leadership of the teens, the leadership of everybody else, of the, of the teens ministry as well as the youth ministry. It's good to be here. As, as, as introduced, my name is Diana Nguich. Uh, I do very, very many things at this cathedral. Very, very many things. But I thank God because the title I love the most is that I am a child of God. For me, that differentiates me. It sets me apart. It takes me places I would never have been. So let us pray as we receive the word of God. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because this is about you, King of glory. We don't want to do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. So, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you'll anoint this message. I pray that you'll speak to your children. I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to the depths of our hearts, minister to places we can't speak to anybody about, minister to the crevices of our hearts that we are not able, Lord, to speak to people about. Lord, minister that as we give our hearts over to you, King of glory, you'll be able to touch, to heal, to deliver, to make whole, to bring salvation to that one that is waiting on you, to prove and confirm that you are true, that you are God. Lord, to bring a counter message to the world and prove that you are still God above it all. So Lord, I pray that under the sound of my voice that everyone that is listening, their lives will be changed, their hearts will be changed, there will be conviction, their hearts will beat for the for the word of God like never before. We invite you into this place. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We ask King of glory that you will be glorified above it all. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And the people say? All right. I have been given. Where is the time? I don't see it. Uh, oh, that. It's very, have mercy. Anyway, um, I've been given quite some time to be here. It's going to be, I hope, 
I doubt that I'll make that time, but pray for me. Uh, please do pray for me. I got up in the morning. I've been praying. When they called me sometime this week and asked me to minister, I laughed. I laughed because I was going through a hard time and I was having a hard day. And they called me in the middle of such a hard day. I was, uh, I was fighting with a client who, wasn't, who didn't want to pay his money. I was going through. A friend had just announced her husband had a brain tumor. And I was dealing with so much at that time. And so when they asked me to speak, I know I rap, but you can keep up with me. When they asked me to speak, it was quite, uh, it was in the middle of something really challenging. And so I laughed. I really laughed at the person. And I said to them, do you know me? I don't speak to teens. I said, I can speak to other people, but I'm not sure about teens. And we laughed and I asked them, Father, what is the message? And when they, said, and when they told me the message, I even laughed, Father. I said, really? Will that, do that message be applicable to teens? Uh, would it be applicable to anyone that will be listening? And so I just, I, I sat back and I sought God and I asked people to pray for me and I said, would you hold me up in prayer even as I go to speak, ask God to speak to the people. I have been praying for you. I have been praying for myself. I have been praying that God would use me in this moment. And this morning as I got up to think about the message and write the message, uh, there are a couple of things that the Lord said to me. And my prayer is that I'm able to communicate it, but also that I'm able to do justice to the message. And so the message today is understanding giving to kingdom work. Turn to your neighbor, say understanding giving. Trust me, I didn't have breakfast, but I have this energy. Understanding giving to kingdom work. And the passage has been read in 1 Chronicles uh, 29, verse 1 to 9. But also, I was also given another portion, which was Luke 8, 1 to 3. And as I thought about this message, uh, I was thinking about it and I said, God, what, it is, what is it that you want to speak to your children today? And uh, a friend of mine reminded me that my heart has been beating so dearly about the lack of service that I see at church. That I see so many gaps and so many areas that people could be standing in and yet there's nobody who's standing in. And when we organize the conference, usually the ladies' conference, we look for people to usher. We look for people to register. We look for people to pray. We look for people to lead worship. We are always on the lookout for people. And many times, not many people are willing to. People just want to come and be as cool as you. Sit back, uh, tick the box. I went to church and that was good enough. But yet, as we read the scripture and the call for us today as believers is that God has has a need. God has a need. And the portion that we have read about is about contribution of the, of the David made and he collected uh, for the temple. And so let me just start there. In this portion in 1 Chronicles 29, David is the king of Israel. He is the second king of Israel that has been installed. And David is a man of God. Actually, God testifies of David and says he is a man after my own heart. God testifies about different people in the Bible. And sometimes I envy those testimonies. When God says, Abraham, my friend. When God says, uh, David, a man after God's own heart. When he calls different people and he says, that one, you have given him wisdom like no other. He differentiates people. He even identifies himself as I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And sometimes I want to say the God of Diana. Because even nowadays, they always, they, when they pray, pray for some preachers, they say, Lord, the God of this preacher, ah, that God, let him meet me. And when I find myself in desperate situations, yesterday, uh, I was visiting a friend, the friend I told you who had a brain tumor uh, surgery. And so we were, we were visiting and um, 
as I thought about it, they were so desperate for a miracle that they wrote to this preacher and they said, the God of this preacher, visit us in the surgery. And I said, but the preacher is in another country preaching. I don't think he read your message. And sometimes we, we think that we need to go to God uh, with a test because of a man of God or a woman of God. And yet you have access to this very same God, you have access to him. So David, as we open this scripture, uh, the man after God's own heart and the king of Israel, he's, he, has, he has desired more than anything. He has conquered so many battles. He has established the kingdom of Israel. He has set forth everything. And he desires just one thing. He desires to build a house of God. He had built his palace and it was a nice palace. It's called, and the place they call the city of David. And David was excited about his palace. But he said, God, how can I go to sleep in my palace when you have nowhere to call your own? And God, of course, gives him quite an answer. Says, do I need a place to stay? But he desires to build the house of God. And God says, you won't do it, but your son will do it. And so David, as we open this particular portion of scripture... Uh, is, is dedicating the things that his son Solomon is going to use to build the temple. And I'm just going to pick out only a few scriptures, just the, just, uh, the first verse, the, sec, the fifth verse, and the ninth verse, and then I'll go to expansion of other, with other scriptures. It says, then, David, then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen. Are you with me? Are you with me? God had chosen Solomon. Now Solomon's birth was controversial. He came from, he came from a woman who uh, David's, David had stolen from another man. And yet God so loved Solomon that God named Solomon. He named him Jedediah, the one that God loves. Who's, who's Jedediah here? Anyone? Okay. You pray. When you, when you have children, you name them that name. So anyway... God named Solomon and God chooses Solomon to be king after David. But this is what David says about him. That God has chosen him but he is young and inexperienced. Just like us here, right? We are young. We may not accept the inexperienced but we are young, right? Trust me, you will long for that title. You grow up a bit more. You'll want to be called young. Now you may reject it but grow up a bit more. Anyway. So he says he's young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. Solomon, as he's starting his reign, he's a young king. His father has accomplished so much. He has inherited, so he doesn't have to fight for the kingdom. Similar to us, there are many things that perhaps we shall inherit that we didn't have to work for. This is where Solomon finds himself. He is young. He, uh, he has been chosen by God. He is young, and that means young in age. But he's also inexperienced. His father had fought many battles. Solomon has not fought any battles by this time, at least not that we know of. And yet his father knows, he knows that what God has called him to do is great. What God has called him to do is great. He has called him to build God the first temple. Imagine God calls you wherever you are at your age and he says to you, go out and I'm trying to think of something. Go out to Karamoja and witness for me. Or 
the Lord says to you, get up, leave your father's house while you're still a teenager. I don't want you to study in Uganda. I am moving you to Nairobi. I am moving you to another place. And when you reach school, I want you to start a ministry for me. Can you think how daunting that task is? Can you think how big it is? And I may not have the most appropriate examples, but God is telling Solomon something that Solomon cannot do on his own. And his father acknowledges he's young, he's inexperienced. The task is great. And yet he acknowledges that the task is not for man, but for God. And that's where we find ourselves even as young people, that God calls us to a place where the task is too great for us, too big for us. Many times when God calls you to do something, it's always great. It is bigger than you. It will require faith. And this is what, what, what God calls Solomon to do. And Solomon agrees to do it. I don't know. He could not pass it on anyway. He was king. And that's where we find ourselves as young people. What has God really called you to do. Verse 5, it says, after they have given and given and given, and many people have brought things into the house, it says, for the gold, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? One of, this verse teaches us that even as the Lord calls you to do a big work, he does not call you and does not consecrate you. Consecrating means to separate yourself from the ordinary, to separate the things that they were choosing to build the temple were gold, silver. Do you have gold in your house? Do you have gold? Someone shook their head, no? Do you have gold in your house? <laughs> I like how disappointed you all are that you don't have gold. Do you have silver in your house? Not gold plated or silver plated. You may say my earrings are gold plated. No, they're just, they're not gold, right? And so, these are the things that they have set apart, that David has collected and set apart to build the house of God. These, as I will speak about later, are things that are valuable, are things that, are, that, that, that cannot be found anywhere else. And so David says, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Because besides having the material that they were going to build, expensive, uh, not ordinary, they themselves who were going to build, needed to be separate from ordinary use. They needed to be set apart for God. And so David says, when we are going to do something for God, we don't do it like if we were doing it for our friends, our neighbors, or different people. There is something that God requires from us every time we are going to do our work for God. He requires that we set ourselves apart from everything that is filthy, everything that is not right. And so David is saying, my son is going to build, but who will come alongside me? Who will separate themselves? Consecration is more than just separating yourself from the things that are evil. It's also giving yourself unto God. So he's telling the people if you want to do this work the requirement is that you separate yourself from everything that is filthy but you also give yourself unto God. Verse 9 says the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders because the leaders gave for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. The people's response when David makes the call is one of gratitude, is one of willingness, is one that they are, they are wholeheartedly and freely giving unto God. And this brought 
rejoicing in their hearts. It brought joy to them. Do you ever give joyfully? You know, sometimes God can ask you to do something and you're so unhappy. Yeah, the scripture says he loves a cheerful giver, but it's beyond just money. It's even our service. Sometimes they call us and it's inconvenient to come to church and to usher. And you, and you say to yourself, ah, I have things to do, you know? They call you to come, and you know, serving God is beyond church, but today we are focusing just on the body of Christ and church. And yet they call you to do these things, and it seems so inconvenient. It's out of your time where you want to play games, want to meet your friend, have coursework to do, have school to do. It's out of the ordinary. And he finds, and, and yet, when God calls us to do something, what he desires from us is a heart that is willing, that is free, that is wholeheartedly devoted to him. Let me move on. In the portion from uh, Luke, which I will not read, Luke 8 and verse 1 to 3, we find Jesus who is going on his second missionary trip to Galilee. And so when he goes to Galilee, it says the disciples were with him, that is the apostles were with him, who were 12 at the time. And it, it goes on ahead to mention there were three women who helped him in the ministry. It says there was Mary Magdalene who had been delivered and, uh, from seven demons. It talks, about, uh, it talks about, what's her name? It talks about, let me go right there. It talks about Susanna, but it also speaks about the wife of uh, a financial. Let me just go there very, very quickly. Uh, Luke 8 and verse 1 to 3. It, spoke, it speaks about Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of... Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. So this particular portion of scripture goes on to tell us that these women gave to the ministry of Jesus. I like the fact that they were women and not men. While the men were going out to preach and preach and preach, the people who financed Jesus' ministry were women. At least this portion tells us they were. It speaks about Mary Magdalene who was delivered. It speaks about Joanna who was a wife of the, let's say, treasurer of Herod's, uh, Herod's household. And then it speaks about Susanna. Really what it's showing us is that even women do have a place in this, in, in this kingdom. They really do have a place. So Jesus, imagine Jesus, the one who's going, who we know as the son of God. Jesus is the second in the Godhead. He is a miracle worker. He is the carpenter. He's a rabbi. He's the anointed one, but he's also a preacher. This Jesus was so powerful, yet he chose to do, he chose that as he did ministry, he would have people helping him. He would have people. While he was going out to preach, hmm? We always think that preaching, you just open your mouth and speak. There's no need for money. I like a preacher who says God's name is too heavy to lift. It needs money. It really does. His name is too heavy to lift. This Jesus was going around preaching. He was a miracle worker. I mean, he got a coin out of, uh, out of a fish to pay his taxes. He did all these things, but the ministry still needed money. Say with me, the ministry still needed Ah, oh, come on. The ministry still needed? Do you have money? Anyway, Jesus had a need to fulfill his purpose. Because his purpose and his actual purpose was to preach the kingdom of God. He would let us sacrifice his life and for our sake and he would be resurrected. Yet for him to fulfill that purpose, there was need for help. And the help in this particular portion was financial help. The all-powerful God had a need, and yet he chose to rely on human beings to help him 
with that need. Most obvious, the most obvious thing that he needed that time was financial support in the ministry. And so he got it from the three ladies that I've spoken about. These ladies were giving of their resources. They were willing to support Jesus' ministry. And so you ask yourself, why? 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 Because, I mean, Joanna was married. So she had a home. She had a family. She had children. She had a husband. But she was following Jesus to Galilee to preach. And she was giving off her finances. Mary Magdalene. I think it's John who tells us that she was the, she was the sister of, of Lazarus. But later on, we see that Mary Magdalene was someone that Jesus had encountered and delivered. These women all had a place to be. Susanna, not much is spoken about her. But you can't assume that they had nothing to do. There was a place they had to be. So why? Why did they do this? Why did they go besides Jesus and be able, in a time where they despised women, women were not allowed to be taught, in a time where women did not read the Torah, in a time where women were not, let's just say, educated. Yet these women came alongside Jesus' ministry to give. Why? Why did they do that? They did that because after Jesus had healed and delivered Mary, she believed. They believed wholeheartedly that he was the Messiah. They believed wholeheartedly that there was something about this man. He was not an ordinary teacher. There was something so special about him. The second reason why they did is because they believed in his purpose. They believed that this too was their purpose. That if they could not preach, if they could not go aside and teach because of the society that they lived in, Purpose had to come forth. And so their purpose in supporting Jesus was... this. As it, the reason they went alongside Jesus was so that they too could fulfill purpose in their life. The third reason that they actually gave is because the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus did marveled them so much. You, can you imagine walking this day and age and you pull someone out of a wheelchair you, you, and, you, and you cause them to walk? Someone who has never walked from birth. Someone who has never heard or seen from birth. Can you imagine what it feels like to raise the dead? You know what it means to lose somebody who has died and yet someone can pull them back from that place. Now, those miracle signs and wonders set Jesus apart. They set him apart and the Pharisees were jealous. We see so many times. And yet these women followed and gave to the ministry because they believed in what he was doing. Also that they had the means to do so. Joanna was the wife of the financial in what? In Herod's house. They had the means to do so. They had the financial prowess. They were able to give. The other, which is the most important, is that they truly loved Jesus. They truly loved Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you know why I say they love Jesus? Because when he had been buried, these women were the first at the tomb looking for their savior, crying for their savior, longing for, for him. So what does giving, what does giving to the kingdom mean? Uh, there are just three points. I'm really going to kill you with your timer. There are just three points that I want to make, even, as, uh, even with regard to giving. There are three ways, I, there are many ways to give to the kingdom, but there are three ways I want to speak about today. The first is financial giving. Look, nobody can ever outgive God. Do you know that? 
Nobody can ever outgive gold. Silver and gold belongs to him. The streets of heaven are lined with gold. You people, the father that you serve, I hope that you serve him, owns everything. The scripture says it is him that gives you power to make wealth. Everything that you have, God has given to you. You are simply a steward of these resources. And so, when God asks us to give financially, it's not because he's, he, he has no money to give. It's because there's something in your heart that he's looking for. There is something in you that the master is looking for. One of the statements that changed my giving was the fact that I could never outgive God. Many times I sit back and uh, when I, sometimes calculating tithe, I, I want to say gross, uh, net, uh, which part works, but also this was pulled off. But when I realized I could never outgive God, I never had to debate about tithe. At some point, I was even saying, Lord, I will give you 15%, not just 10%, because all of it in the, in the, in the end belongs to you. And so financial giving is important to the kingdom. It's also important to you as a believer. It is a command. It's not just a suggestion. It is a command of God that you give. Malachi tells us to give into the storehouse of God. Why? So that he can throw open the gates of heaven. So that he can pour out bountiful blessings so that he can cause your pens and sheep to grow so that he can rebuke the devourer. They are blessings that come with giving. The reason God is asking you to give is not so that he takes from you and you lack, but because he wants to give unto you. I usually ask myself, it's so easy for me to sit and buy food, right? It's so easy for me to sit in a restaurant and buy food, food that's 50,000, food that's 41,000, food that uh, is other places. But when it comes to church, I am looking into my wallet. Now, what is the second biggest note I can have that's not 2,000? I say between 5,000 and 10,000, that's what I have to give God. But when I sit in a restaurant, I'm not looking for five or 10. And I always ask myself every time I get up, who is more valuable to me? God? all the food that I'm eating. Many times I'll even sacrifice. Sometimes I feel like I sacrifice and eat food and say, Lord, okay, 5,000 will do. But is that how much I value God? Right? And I'm not saying about the amount of it, they are the, bigger, the, the bigger it is, the more you value God. I am saying it's the condition of the heart and the willingness and the wholeheartedness and the, free, the, free, the freeness with which you give to God that matters. Many times we would give to God, we, I think of spending times and I would rather do something else, watch a movie, watch games, I no longer watch movies, but watch a movie, uh, do a game, as opposed to coming to church. Who what we spend our time doing shows who we really value. When, when we give easily to God, it shows that we actually value God. The scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. God has given us so much. He has given you a good education. He has given you nice clothes. He has given you a roof over your head. He has given you the ability to travel and go to another country. He has given you health. He has given you a phone. I, when I sat here, I saw people pulling out their smartphones and, 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 and going through them before service started. He has given you a nice phone. He has given you everything. I are you grateful? Are you grateful for what God has given you? And how do you show that gratitude back to God except by giving to him? There are benefits that come from giving. There are benefits that come that cannot be measured. As I was coming, the Lord uh, reminded me of Acts. He took me to Acts 9. Acts 9 and Acts 10. Um, 
I've spoken about what Malachi says, but Acts 9 is an interesting one. There was a widow called Dorcas. She had given so much um, to the people. She had sewn clothes. She had done all these things. When she died, um, the people wept so much because they were so sad. And so they said, when Peter, the apostle, came, they took Peter to the upper room. They said, see the clothes that she sewed for me. See the basket that she weaved for me. See all these things that she did, Peter. Can't you see? Do something. Do something. This woman sewed for me a cloth. As we know that you can do something, do something. It is there. It is her giving that caused people to weep for Peter. And Peter says he let, the Bible says Peter told everyone to go out. And then he knelt down and he prayed. And then he spoke to her daughter's come back to life. And she came back to life. And as the Lord was making me, allowing me to meditate on that, I thought to myself, um, isn't it so funny? Isn't it so funny that many times we think that we are just giving uh, and yeah, church will use it. But many times we are making a memorial in heaven and getting the attention of God, that things that seem impossible can come back to life because we gave. Things that seem so impossible can truly come back to life because we gave. As the Lord was teaching me that this morning, I said to myself, and perhaps it's something that God wants to tell somebody today, that giving may not necessarily be financial. I'll get to the other two in a second. But there are things that God wants to resurrect in our lives if we are willing to give. There are things that God wants to touch and bring back to us when we are willing to give. The other one is Cornelius in Acts 10. Cornelius, it says he was a Gentile. He was, he was not one of the Jews, so he was not entitled to receive the gospel at the time. But he gave so much that it caught the attention of God. That God said, what do you want? What do you want? And so he goes and gets Peter from wherever Peter is and goes, Peter goes through his visions of what is clean and unclean and he sends Peter to Cornelius' house and Peter teaches him the gospel, expounds to him the gospel. His house is baptized and they know the Lord. Sometimes our giving unlocks the ability to bring deliverance to our homes, to bring salvation to our homes, to bring things that would not ordinarily have come. And so God was really putting that on my heart today, that Sometimes we think that we are giving and it feels like, okay, God, God, I've given you enough. But what God is really trying to do is give you a bigger thing that you actually need. Amen. Are we together? Are we together? The second way to give is to give your service to the Lord. Uh, 2 Timothy, verse 2, 20 to 26. It says, in the, in the house of the Lord, there are many vessels. These are the vessels it talks about. It says, vessels of gold, vessels of silver, vessels of clay, vessels of wood. Yeah? Turn to your neighbor and say, which vessel are you? Yeah? Which vessel are you? It says there are vessels of gold, vessels of silver, of wood and clay. The difference in these vessels is how God uses them. The difference in these vessels is the willingness of God to use them. He says some of these are to honor. Those are gold and silver. He says some of these are to dishonor. Some versions say this is a vessel of common use. I can use it for everything. The gold and silver are set apart. No one uses gold and silver every day. Yeah, it's only Sol Solomon is the only king that made silver as common in Israel and gold as common that it was so common it it it, it was not of 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 uh, greater value in that time, but it still mattered, and yet it says gold and silver. These are the vessels that the Lord sets apart. It says they are useful to God. They are useful to God. Do you know what I love about the scripture? It says these are houses, these are vessels in a house. 
Hmm? These are all vessels in the Lord's house. All of them, gold, silver, clay, wood. Some of them are to honor, some of them are to dishonor. Yet the silver and the gold are very interesting metals. Why? Because silver and gold have to be purified. In fact, the scripture says that silver to the furnace, gold to the crucible, and the, a person is tested by the praise that they receive. What it means about these particular metals is that when you go through a crucible, what it's doing is it tests these metals. It tests, it removes impurities from these metals. It reveals the quality of the, of the, of the metal. Every time you see silver and gold, it has gone through some test. Every time you see silver and gold, impurities have been removed. It has tested the quality of the metal, but it's also strengthening the metal. Similarly, as each of us here, we are tested. As long as you're in this house, you will be tested. And so... You will be tested to build your character, to remove impurities, to reveal God. And silver and gold have been set apart, have been set apart in the house of God to be used as, as vessels of, or for vessels for honor, vessels to be used of God. And yet there are other vessels such as wood and clay. These are also in the house, but they are not as useful to the master. They are not. Why? Because it says they are vessels to dishonor. They are vessels for common use. You're also in the house, but you're for common use. You're the tampeko that we give when you come. Yeah? You're the katasa that we give when you come. That is who you are if you're not purified. You're there for ordinary use. You will not be put on display for anybody to see. But as a believer, you will never really carry the glory of God if you are a vessel that is of ordinary use. But it says that these vessels can cleanse themselves. They can be tested by life. They can be separate of their youthful lusts. They can pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and all these things. When they begin to pursue them and also receive salvation, then they can become vessels of honor. Truly, what kind of vessel are you? If you have cleansed yourself from these impurities, you are made useful to the master. And so part of giving in service is that you need to be useful to the master. There are two kinds of people in church. There are those who uh, won't give their service to God. They're comfortable to come and sit in the pew, uh, receive at the, at the end of the week and then go home. But there are those who would come and want to serve regardless of whether they have a position or not. What kind of vessel are you? Right? The body of Christ has many, many, many gifts. And God is calling us, each of us, to be the kind of vessel that he wants to use. God has given you a gift. Whatever it is, maybe it's organization, maybe it is uh, singing, maybe it's giving generously, maybe it's ushering hospitality. Every single one of you seated here, sleeping or not, every one of you, sleeping or not, has a gift. Yeah? You have a gift. What are you using that gift for? Yeah? Acts 2 and verse 42 and verse 42 to the end teaches us how the believers gave of themselves. They gave of their possessions, their home, their food. They, they performed miracles, signs and wonders. All that was to a certain end. And so I ask us today, there are opportunities in church for us to give as, as leaders, as the drama team, to give our finances, poetry, dancing, prayer, children's ministry, discipleship. There are many opportunities to give in church today. What are you doing? 
Are you that one that just comes and sits? The church, the church is filled with many areas to work. And even now, as I, as I think about it, I'm asking myself, what more can I do for God to show that I truly value with him? Don't sleep on me. I'm coming to an end. Stop sleeping. Right? The scripture says at the end of the day that God has, been give, has given you an opportunity to give in the kingdom with those different gifts, but you will account for it at the end of the day. As a young person, Ecclesiastes tells us that you will account for every word. You will account for the different things that God has given you. Are you putting to use what God has called you to do? Mary Magdalene, Joanne and Susanna, they put their gifts to use. And yet they followed Jesus knowing that he was all that they ever needed. So what's the third way that we can give to the kingdom? The most important and third way we can give to the kingdom is the gift of yourself. Right? Are we together? Are we together? The sacrifice of self. The sacrifice of self. Matthew 19 and 27, Peter says to Christ, we have left everything to follow you. Peter was a married man. I'm assuming he had children. That's an assumption. He was a married man. He had a home. He had all these things. Some of them were married. This woman's this women were married. And yet they left everything. They left their homes. They left the comfort. There were no cars those days to drive in, please. They were walking. It's a hot place. There was, it was uncomfortable. Yet they left everything to follow Jesus. And he says, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What shall we gain? There is something so dear they had found in Jesus that they were not willing to lose it. God calls us as a place of giving. The highest level of giving is to give ourselves unto God. Are we together? Are we together? The highest level of giving is to give ourselves to God. Jesus went on the cross that you might have life. He went to that cross that you might have life. And you may ask yourself, but I'm alive. What more life do I need? Right? I'm alive. But you see, you are a spirit man on the inside of you. When you're born, this is a strange statement, you're born dead. Your spiritual man is born dead. It only comes to life when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, what you have done is give yourself sacrificially to the Lord. God wants many things from you, but the thing that he desires from you most is your life. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Let me just read that very fast. Uh, Romans 12, 1 to 2. You know that scripture off here, do you? Do you? Oh dear, we need to be Bible scholars. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this was the mercy that God is speaking about, that he gave his life for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to bring this to a close, even very fast this, this, this uh, morning. But God is calling you, even as, in, as he's challenging us this morning to give, the greatest gift that you can give is to give your life to God, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Because your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. The price was blood. The price was the blood of the unblemished king. The price was the blood of the lamb that had committed no sin, but took on your sin that you might be set free, that hell would not be your portion, 
that final death would not be your portion. He took it all that you might have, life, all these things that you desire on this earth. The only way they find purpose and meaning is when they are anchored in Jesus, is when they are anchored in God. God does not want another sermon from you, something else from you. Of course, ministry is important. Giving towards the ministry and money is important. It's important that you give of your gifts. But the thing that God desires from you this morning is your heart, is your life. To flee from what youthful lusts, to flee from things that don't matter, worldly passion, mu music that doesn't please God, friends, company, sin, immorality, lying, gossip, slander, quarreling, pride, the pride of life, the things you're so proud to be. I am so pretty. I must be the best thing that happened to the earth. I go to this school, so please, my parents have four cars. They even have a Range Rover. It makes me feel better. I am so, I am so answered. Do you know who my friends are? Uh, do, please, all that stuff doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What really matters is where do you stand with God? Where do you stand with God? And so this morning, my charge to us, even as I'm calling us to give towards the kingdom, is to give financially, yes, is to give of your service, but to also offer yourself as a living sacrifice. The greatest gift you will ever give is to give your heart to God. God really desires you. He desires you as a person. You mean more to him than anything else. God loves you. He loves you more than anything in this world. And so let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And I don't know if this message has spoken to you, if God has convicted you to give in any way. Whether he has convicted you, don't look at me, bow your head in prayer. I want you to talk to God. I want you to talk to God as your father because he loves you. He hung on that cross that you might be set free. He hung on that cross that you might be delivered. He hung on that cross that you might have life, that you might have life. And so this morning, as we come towards God, as we come towards a close, I want to challenge us. Does God truly have you? Does God truly have you? Does he have your heart? Or are you partly in the world? Are you partly with God? Does God truly have the whole of you? Because he's longing for you. He's longing to have a relationship with you. He's longing to minister to the places that you can't tell anyone about. He's longing for you like never before. And I want to invite us this morning that if for any reason you want to give your heart over to this God, you want to give all that you are over to this God, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? If you want to give your heart over to this God, just raise your hand wherever you are. And just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand wherever you are. You're saying, Lord, I am tired of the life that I'm living. I see those hands. Just keep them up. Keep them up. Just keep them up. Keep those hands up. Come on. With every head bowed. With every head bowed. Just keep your hands up. Because you're making, a, you're making a decision for this God that nobody else can make for you. You're making a decision. This is a crucial moment. It defines who you are. It defines your for you for the rest of your life. This is the moment that God is calling you. I want you all to say this prayer with me. Say, Lord, I come to you today. My heart has not been right with you. Today I acknowledge you. I have been separate from you. I turn to you with my whole heart. I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you are Savior. 
Forgive me for my sin. I choose to follow you from this day on. The power of sin, of hell, and the grave are broken over my life. I am yours in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you, especially those whose hands are still raised. Just lift your hands up. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. My Jesus, I commend this to you. They are putting up their hands to you and not to any man in this place. Father, I pray that you who redeem souls will begin to redeem these, O oh God. I commend them to you and to your word that is able to give them an inheritance among those that are being sanctified. Change the direction of their life and bring them to you, O oh God. I pray today that as they raise their hands to you, separate them from the crowd. Separate them from anyone else, O oh God. Separate them, Jesus. May they know you in a good way. May they be one with you. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.